0: opportunity to talk to Robert Finley over Zoom video. Robert has an incredible story. Growing up on a farm, having his father give him $20 to go buy shoes, he ends up coming back with a guitar instead. Fascinating story about that. Joining the army, becoming a band leader in the army, coming home after the military, and not getting his big break until much later in life. Around the same time he started losing his sight, he put out the record, Age Don't Mean a Thing, and ended up getting discovered by Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys. Talks about working with him, his record Gone Platinum, the time he spent on America's Got Talent, and his most recent record, Sharecropper's Son. You can watch our interview with Robert Finley on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod.
1: We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: We're bringing it backwards with Robert Finley. Um, This podcast is all about you and your journey in music. And of course, we'll talk about the new record, Sharecropper's Son. Okay. Cool. First off, uh, we're born and raised. Where were you born and raised? Winchboro, Louisiana. Talk to me about that a little bit.
1: Well, it ain't too much to talk about. It's a little old bit of town, you know. Uh, I know about forty miles south of Monroe. All right. uh, uh It's not really on the map. I'm trying to put it on the map. <laughs> I think you have
0: right. I mean, you uh, things. Live,
1: I live in Winsboro. I, mean, I mean, I live in Bernice, Louisiana, but I'm born, and raised in Winsboro, right. um, and that's where all the. Uh, your history started
0: there, and how did you get into music? I did read that you got a guitar around eleven.
1: Well, actually, bought my first guitar at the age of ten.
0: Yeah, a- ten. Okay, before prior to prior to the guitar, had you uh, been exposed to music in any other any other way?
1: Well, basically, before that, it was just gospel music. My dad and my, uh, sung in a quartet. My mom sung in a quartet. Wow. The whole. Uh, my whole family uh, sung in the choir, so yeah, it was quite a bit of it's, you know, I always, all my life just was around singing. So okay.
0: Did you sing as a child as well? Yeah,
1: yeah. Since I was big enough to talk, I always started singing.
0: Okay, okay. And what, what what drew you to the guitar? Pardon me? What drew you to the guitar? Uh, sitting on the front
1: row and at the at singing programs, and just watching the guys' fingers on uh, looking at the other guy's musicians play, mm-hmm. and uh it was like something I always wanted to do.
0: was that the first uh instrument you learned how to play, or did you do anything prior to guitar?
1: uh no, uh, the guitar was really the first thing I ever really played. I always loved the piano, but uh I never could afford one, so
0: okay
1: uh. I I could, I could walk the streets with a guitar I couldn't walk the streets with a piano
0: Sure that'd be difficult <laughs> <laughs> difficult feet <laughs> pushing around a grand piano um Yeah
1: <laughs> but uh, I took music I mean I I in in school
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh they allowed us to play with the piano and just you know as a class thing but never you know w- was allowed to do it so uh just okay. so happened one of my um the piano player at the school uh, was also the music teacher at the school was also uh, the musician for our church. so oh, wow, he would give me like a few minutes to let me touch a key or something, but everybody was telling, don't touch those keys because uh, it it costs too much, that's not not for reward. That's not right. something to play with. that's an instrument. Uh-huh. And it was something that the whole congregation had bought so. If one per one kid play on it, all the kids felt like they can play on it. So sure. they didn't allow that at all. Okay,
0: so you had the guitar, and did you play yeah. in the in the church band? You know I
1: actually, actually, uh, I, my when I got my first guitar, uh, hold on. I apologize for this. Oh, okay. My, just turn there. Don't do not Disturb. I'm sorry about that. Oh, good. You know, my my phone rings. My dog bogs, All kind of crap happens around here.
0: It's, it's the world we live in now, right? Yeah. Right. right. <laughs>
1: yeah. But uh, yeah, um, my yeah, uh, that was my son calling. Remember? My daughter uh, But yeah, I I got my first guitar at the age of ten,
2: uh-huh.
1: when I was actually supposed to have been uh, buying a pair of shoes. But no. it was the first time I'd ever held that much money. It was a $20 bill, you know, because mm-hmm. um, back then we were still hauling cotton for $4 wow. a, a day, you know, and finally they did a minimum uh, wage to a uh, dollar an hour. And so that was everybody wanted to chop cotton in, but I wasn't, I wasn't really good at it. And I think I sometimes chopped the cotton and saved the weeds, you know, because <laughs> they all know Whichever one was the prettiest, that's the one I left standing. So oh, I, I wasn't go. very successful in the, uh, in the whole field at that age.
2: Okay.
1: Um, but um, I finally learned which one you keep and which one you save. But, uh, yeah, things are so different now. And, you know, like back then we felt like the cotton had to be so far apart to grow. And now they grow as many as they can grow together, you know. Right. Um, Now it's just surplus as much as they can get. Right. Yeah. We, we cut down more corn than we saved thinking that that was going to make it be healthy. But, uh. Turn out all that was a lot of that stuff was wrong. Now you pass by cornfield, you uh the the, the stalks are hugged together, you know. And mm-hmm. everybody's getting all they can while they can. Sure, sure.
0: So you were given twenty dollars to go buy some shoes, come back with a guitar. Tell me about your family's reaction to that one.
1: Well, uh <laughs> I was actually living with my dad at that time, him and my mom had separated and uh he had to go to work, and he didn't have time to go. So it was almost time for school to start, and um, so he gave me the twenty dollars to let me pick out my own shoes. And uh, we passed by this guitar, and when the store, it was a beautiful red guitar, and you know, like basically red, smoked and black, but uh, it was a. Uh, Nineteen ninety-five, and so my friends, I had four of my class, uh, you know, guys we were that we hung out with, and four of my best friends uh, says to me, "Man, if you buy the guitar, we we will help you mow yards and uh, make the money back to still get your shoes before school starts. Oh wow. And uh, so uh I guess my punishment where I had to go to school the first day of school with my last year she was on the couch, My dad was like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you another twenty dollars.
2: Mm-hmm. So um
1: the lady in the store had told me that the guitar the sign said nineteen ninety five. Then she told me it was like twenty-one dollars and something and uh, and I had never heard about taxes. So I was like, what do you mean, $21? The things, the sign says.
0: Yeah, I should be getting a nickel back here. What's going on?
1: Yeah, <laughs> so we turned and stole them out the store and said, man, they ain't right. They, they ain't fair. We, we felt like we really miss you. So the lady uh, looked at the five young men walking out the store, shaking their heads, saying this ain't right. And she came to the door and called me back. And she gave me the guitar. She says, I'll pay the taxes. He don't even know what taxes is. Wow. And um, it was an elderly lady. And um, so uh she said she'll pay the taxes. And I was still standing there when she gave me the guitar. And I was looking at her and she was like, Now what? <laughs> what is it? I'm like, I want my nickel back. <laughs> You know I want my change. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so she just said, "If this don't beat all, she just reached in the pocket and gave me a nickel."
0: She did. Yeah. So she gave the guitar and your change. You gave me the guitar and the nickel. So back. she did totally take care of the taxes. She wasn't lying to you, yeah. right? So
1: we goes across the street where they was that were bubble gum for a penny, mm-hmm. and you could get a big ball of bubble gum for a penny. And so we bought five balls of bubble gum, and uh, that's how we uh, we walked back from town, which was about a three mile walk, three or four mile walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I played the guitar for the entire walk. Wow! And we we sung, and by the time I had made it back to the community, I had made it a tune. I found me a tune.
0: And you had never played prior to this, just screwing around yeah. on the walk back? No, uh, I had never owned one. Never. No one had ever
1: let me just hold one and do what I wanted to do on it. Wow. So, uh, And I was like, okay. And, but I had, a, by the time I realized, it, I had a great big blister on my thumb.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to get the callus,
1: thing. right? <laughs> so I would like took a pin and busted and, you know, squeezed the blood out and go back to playing because mm-hmm. it, it would be so swole. You know, you, once you let the blood out, you get a little relief. Right. And I went, went right back to playing at that time. I didn't know about a guitar pick or, or thumb pick or whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just play strictly with my finger. Wow. But after a while, uh, and we were playing hooky from school because my dad would drop me off. He dropped me off at school, and I go right through the trail, go back to the house, get my guitar, (laughs) and then go in the woods, get on my bike (laughs) and, and go back in the woods. And, and we would be shooting models and sometimes trying to shoot dice. Uh-huh. Uh, and I would play for the guys. So, uh, and we were, we, were, we were in the woods, but we were behind my friend's house and they mom couldn't get them to go to school. So uh, she would cook enough food every day for them to, for for, for, for all the kids to, to actually eat in the woods. Wow. It, it, was, it was, you know, she was a school girl lady, she understood shit. I call it great, I think she had a great understanding. But she would, she would always cook beans, you know, red mm-hmm. beans and, and rice or something, just something that was cheap. Mm-hmm. But at lunchtime, the boys could go, they would go home and get their lunch and they would bring back lunch for everybody in 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 the in the trail.
2: Wow!
1: And the thing about it was, we you know we were given a nickel for lunch money,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but we spent the. They would sell us lunch for the nickel. Turn everything off. Uh, we, we we would uh, they would sell us lunch for the nickel. And so um, it, and, and we would you know we would we would shoot dice and, and gamble for our lunch money but she made sure all of us ate back in those days you know like yeah there were nowhere you couldn't stop and get a meal you know all everybody fed everybody's kids so uh, wow well, so the
0: real sense of community right i mean nowadays right, that right. probably wouldn't happen Nowadays, nobody cares, but, uh,
1: right. you know, well, that, that's a few people cares, but it's, it's not like that. Like, not like it used to be. Because um, kids could do this. We could go from house to house, eat whatever my mama cooked. My mama would feed any kid that came in the yard. Mm-hmm. And then we leave leave my house and go right to the next one house see what their mama cooked and that's how we, <laughs> we,
0: you know, we decided where do you want, what you wanted to eat who was making what, what that evening <laughs> yeah you're like oh, oh my well, mom's yeah. making this okay let me go see what the neighbors got <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: yeah so it was it, we grew up it was that type of neighborhood and I mean you you know nowadays everybody's selfish and mm-hmm. uh my dad would always had a, had a saying say, you help the needy, not the greedy. And like yeah, <laughs> so, you know, it, it was like, but, but I mean, we had just moved off the farm. And then that, you know, when I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. uh, I cried when we moved off the farm because I didn't realize, you know, that was all the only life. I knew. Sure. And I missed, Playing on the cultivators, or I missed going through the cow trails and all these things that, that we did, and fishing in the creek and crawfish. Uh, so when we moved into a community where uh, there were other other kids, the, you know, I, it was like moving to a big city, but it actually was just a community where you actually had neighbors where you could look out your door and see another house. Because mm-hmm. we used to have to walk so far to, you know, to see another neighbor.
0: Sure. And when, well, when you. Other, when you know,
1: I, I put it like to see another uh, neighbor of color, because the only house I could see was uh, the the guy that owned it, the farm, where we thought at that time he owned it, but
0: wow.
1: they really didn't own it. Uh, really?
0: So you were living yeah, there and the guy didn't even own the farm? He didn't
1: own it, he was just, he was just in charge of it. Okay. My dad was farming it and come to find out he had rented the land. The land actually belonged to a black guy that, that we didn't know uh, that even owned it. I just had found that out uh, probably 10 years ago that wow. the farm we were farming actually belonged to, to a black guy that had moved to California. Uh, But uh, he was released in and out, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, to his neighbor, which which was a white guy. And my dad was farming it uh, for the white guy. Mm -hmm. But uh, I call it, we were the sharecroppers that never got our share. Um, And uh, I sometimes wonder, uh, am i getting my share now
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: because of so much uh uh you know politics and politicians and and uh it's crooks in everything you do.
0: Yeah everybody wants a piece right
1: everybody wants a piece of the pie but don't nobody want to cook it.
0: <laughs> I like <laughs> that. Yeah. Wow. So uh, when you're when you're playing guitar all those years and did your did your family find out that you weren't, that you were cutting class to go play guitar? And what was there reaction oh, well, to that? But my,
1: my, my dad, it didn't take long because, you know, somebody seen it, told it. And uh, so uh, it was the most embarrassing thing. My dad came down in the woods where uh, we were gambling at and took the... Uh, guitar put it in the back of the car we took my bicycle put it on top of his car mm-hmm. and here we go riding through the neighborhood taking me home to give me a beat down oh my so all of my little friends they they're not going to come in my yard but they follow us and he was like driving slow enough for him to keep up, you know. <laughs> like like, was,
0: we gotta watch to see what's going on with Robert.
1: Yeah, he's gonna really get this point across. To me, you're gonna go to school or else. You're right. And I guess I came up with the uh, else because uh, he couldn't keep taking off from work and coming to get me out the woods. But uh, <laughs> so you
0: continue to go to the woods to play,
1: uh, yeah, but uh. He he, uh, he he actually you know gave me one of them old fashioned beat down that would be called child abuse now. Sure. Uh, but uh and all I could say was yes daddy, you know, But I told you this or that yes, yes, yes. And so when my I, I learned then if you complain, people will continually tease you. Mm-hmm. So all my friends was teasing me every time they something. it, it was Yasa Daddy, Yassa Daddy, because they heard me uh, getting a whooping. <laughs> and so uh, when they did it, they did it to discourage me. But uh I made a song out of it, and I just went to singing <clears throat> that uh Yassa Daddy. So the first song I wrote was Come Here, Boy, Yasa Daddy. And once I started singing that and it looked like I was enjoying being teased, then they stopped teasing me. So that's and wow. I learned at an early age that if you complain, they'll continually bother you about it because they're getting on your, you know, they're getting on your nerves or it's a psychological. But yeah, I I learned about reverse psychology, mm-hmm. I guess at a young age, because once I start singing what they were teasing me about, and I actually learned how to play it, then it they stopped teasing me from it, and they were, you know, it's it, not it, fun it for them back. anymore, right? Yeah, it didn't bother once well, they saw it didn't bother me. Then uh, if it don't bother you, well, why bother to do it if it's not gonna make it miserable? You know? mm-hmm. And so they started to. To sing along with me, uh, "Yassa Daddy, Yassa Daddy." You know, I'd say, "Come here, boy," and everybody would holler, "Yassa Daddy," and we went to having fun doing it. Uh-huh. And so, all of a sudden, this tease turned into an enjoyable moment. You know, wow. Uh, so I guess that would be the first song that I ever wrote, or uh, ever, you know, my first original song was mm-hmm. was actually me getting uh, disciplined.
0: Interesting. And did you uh, you did that all through you? Did you play and write songs all through school? Because you eventually joined the military, correct?
1: Yeah, I uh, Well, really, we didn't do a lot of school. Okay. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't go to school. We fell out of I kind of fell out of place. OK. Uh, well, we had to pick cotton and do like the song sharecropper song that were there was only three months out of a year. Mm-hmm. That we could actually go to school. You see, like right now, we would be in school simply oh. because uh, the uh, the corn is not fully grown, the cotton is not open, the beans, the peas. You know, is you know, only thing we had to harvest in beans were because we didn't raise soybean; we just raised like uh, garden beans, you know, like mm-hmm. butter beans and peas. Now that you could pick out the school and and share during the night. But uh, the things that was in the field, like the cotton, right now there is no, I mean, the like field full of cotton, it. but it's not harvesting time, right? Sure. So we could go to school f- for those three months, sometimes two and a half months, uh, depends on the weather. And as soon as the cotton was ready to pick, well, you yanked back out of school. So you weren't in there long enough to uh, actually, you know, know what was going on. And the way my sister and brother kept up was because of their friends that went to school. And they would sometimes be playing with them, and they would teach them. Uh, The kids would pass on the kids. And we would call it play school. Uh, and, and that's how we, we really kind of learned. But I was I was never uh about school. Uh because I wasn't old enough to go to school by myself mm-hmm. and I wasn't big enough uh to pick cotton at the time, you know, to actually be able to do. So well, see, when you're I you're
0: kind of in between then, right? Yeah,
1: uh so that me and my sister, we would we were, like you call the water boy and the water girl. Oh, okay. So, you know, we had to make sure that nobody had to leave the field to come get water. Our job was to go to the trailer to get, get the ours. water, get a bucket of water, and take it back for them to drink. So sometimes they, and you, you know, you really get mad when they drink a lot of water because that means you got to walk all the way back. To- <laughs>
0: Go get more?
1: To get some more water. Okay. So that was, it was a job for everybody, regardless to your age. If you were, you know, uh, I remember riding on the sack, you know, um, and people say, how do you remember uh, that far back? How could you forget it? You know, Mm -hmm. like, uh, because we rode on a cotton sack. I remember my mom Would pull me on her sack, and then when her sack started getting heavy, she'd take me off her sack, put me on her daddy, on my daddy's sack, because (laughs) my daddy always picked two rows at a time, and and uh, you know, you all you you get off the sack long enough for him to pack it, and you get back on the sack, Mm -hmm. and I thought that you know. That was the way of life. And so I when I my, I remember like yesterday my first sack I had my dad had, because I put cotton in a sock. And when he came back uh, I had a sock full of cotton. And they had told me to stay in the back of the truck. Mm-hmm. But we got out of the truck me and my sister and picked us some cotton. <laughs> so my dad saw the cotton and he he went on that night he put a string on the end of a flower sack and gave it to me to play with on the end and and you know I'm so trying to impress my dad I filled the flower sack up with cotton and once he realized I could fill that flower sack up then he gave me a grass sack a bigger (laughs) sack okay and then And, you know, next thing I knew, it wasn't fun anymore. And I didn't want to play. (laughs) That a job. (laughs) Yeah, I did not want to play that game anymore. Uh Uh-huh. But now that he knows I can pick a sack of cotton, I mean, uh, you know, I can fill the sack up, either I'll have it full when he comes back or I'll be ready for some discipline. Uh Oh. and so like
0: real quickly they came I, from a game into now this is your job and get it done or you're yeah, getting right, in trouble right.
1: and so now he gave me a role beside him and now I got to keep up with him he's got two roles and I got one and so me and my sister got to keep up with him and oh, uh wow. he would he would go back and help us catch up but he would always be y'all better keep up you better keep up and um, the first first thing I knew, I'd graduated from from a sock to a flower sack to a grass sack. Now I got a seven foot sack <laughs> hanging on my damn back, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it ain't fun no more. Right. And it, wow. even if I don't want to play, I gotta play play this game anyway. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, once you, you find you- out the difference between a stalker cat and a cuckoo then your job was to pull up the cuckoo so okay
0: how how were you able to convince him that you needed to join the military and you did not want to do that anymore oh, well,
1: my i did that uh, when i joined the military i was na- i was 19 years old then um, sure
0: but didn't you well, you were able to kind of get away from that or yeah, well, it well, sounds like you would be a family, you know, you kind of inherit the next generation into that. Yeah, yeah
1: we, we moved off the farm. Oh, uh, sure. Okay. My oldest brothers uh, told my dad one day they wasn't going to pick any more cotton. This was not the life they wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're going to help you harvest this crop this year, but we're not going to. Help you plan another one. Uh, and, and that's so, when
0: you guys moved.
1: And that's when my dad you know, decided to move. They okay. tore out an old church and uh to build a new church, but the old church was so huge until they actually had enough material to build three houses. Mm-hmm. And uh the deacons of the church built the church and then they built them a house apiece out of the lumber that was left. And they built the houses identical alike, so that nobody would, you know, they they built this house, and then they built this house, and they built this house. So they built all three houses identical alike. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, because my dad was a carpenter, my uncle was an electrician, and uh, I had an uncle that was a plumber. So that's how I got all the trades because I was a little boy. I was allowed to go under the house. Hey, go under and take this under there and stick it into this. And so they would tell me what to do. And it, it was like fun to me to go with my dad and stay all day, you know, and then he'd take me by the store, buy me a a bag of cookies and a big red soda. And hell, I was, I was, I was took a pinch. Uh, so yeah, I kind of like been overworked and underpaid all my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you joined the military then at 19 and you go. Yeah, my father.
1: And- unfortunately I left home at, at the age of 15. Oh, wow. And, uh, I moved I went to New Orleans with a friend of mines and i I was I was tall and uh and I, so uh by me being tall I stuck a pipe in my mouth and uh got me a, a walking cane and a pipe and and I I pretended to be you know a man okay and uh believe it or not at the age of 17, I had a credit account at a liquor store because I knew how to change my voice and sound like a a man. Okay. And I would, you know, I would just go into this deep voice and say, Hey, give me that (laughs) pipe. Like a Prince Albert, you know, and then, and, and they had my shades on and stuff and my hat. And so the guy, I had a friend that was 20 years old. He had a job. It was He would always buy the liquor, but he wasn't old enough to go in the liquor store and get it. So here I was 17, three years younger than him, but he looked at like, you know, he, he they always asked him for ID, and he couldn't come up with ID that, he was old enough to work, but he mm-hmm. wasn't old enough to buy tobacco and, and alcohol. God. So he would have to come get me to go in the liquor store, and they would make him stand outside. <laughs> and he would give me his money, and I would go in and purchase the liquor. And on days we, when he didn't have money, and he was actually working for the railroad. Wow. And he had a good job working for the railroad, and I wasn't old enough to work anywhere. Uh, So finally, uh, at the end, when I turned, my dad got killed in an automobile accident. And uh, so uh, that's when I had to become a man, because other than that, my dad would always say, if you need me, call me, Mm -hmm. you can always come home. And, uh, you know, which I had a little too much pride to come home. So uh, I didn't want to be a failure sure but uh the door was always open but when my dad got killed in an automobile accident uh, mm-hmm. then uh, I uh, had to you know had to stand up and be a man there
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I, He was killed when I was 17 and I went to uh, in the middle of, I wandered for a little while but then at the age of 19 on my 19th birthday, I joined the military. I volunteered for the military. I had mm-hmm. friends that were drafted, and were drafted, but I I volunteered, and uh, and I tell the truth, uh, I volunteered because I knew it was a show way to take care of my mom. Sure. And, and I uh, fixed her allotment to where she would get a check every month, and the rest of the money I just blew it. You know, I didn't do anything positive with it. I just, <laughs> as fast as I got it, I... Spent it. I, I enjoyed the good life. Yeah. But then, uh, the military started open doors. I, I joined. And when we graduated, basic training, I became... Uh, that was the first time that I performed uh, before that larger audience was the graduation in in the uh, basic training and I won a little plat that didn't even have my name on it it just said outstanding entertainer <laughs> of the year. Wow. So Do you still was, have it? Uh, no, I, I actually lost it in a fire, but I oh kept Oh my it gosh. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, but, uh, it didn't even have a name on it. So I took a pin, um, uh, like a safety pin, and I scratch my name on it.
2: Oh, and I love that. So
1: next I went to, um, but it went into my military record as I was the outstanding entertainer of the year. So I actually won the uh, talent show. Okay. And so uh, when I went to AIT for my career training, which was the aircraft armored subsystem mechanic, mm-hmm. That's when uh I realized what it was doing for me. But the the commander and my first sergeant uh called my first sergeant from Fort Polk, Louisiana, and uh found out that I actually did win the the you know the entertainer, outstanding entertainer of the year award. Mm -hmm. And so then they asked me to organize a band for the graduation of AIT. And so uh, here I go again, uh, leading the band. And (laughs) so uh, we we did that for the graduation. And Mm -hmm. then that went into my military record. And so uh, my first duty station was Illesheim, Germany. And I got there on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And it was Friday afternoon. My first sergeant told me to report for duty Monday morning. And uh, he had one of the guys to show me where the recreation center were so that I could go out. And do, uh, you know, have something to do for the weekend or so, just to keep from being bored in the barracks. You he can didn't go know and, the area,
0: right? You didn't really know. Yeah, he can go shoot deal. some
1: pool or, or something, you know, in the in, the rec, in the rec center. Mm-hmm. So I went there and I checked out a guitar. And uh, I started to play the guitar with the door open. Uh, to the room. Normally you shut the door and you entertain yourself
2: <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: practice with yourself. But I didn't know that. So I just left the door open and I started playing. And the young man came up and asked me he said, man look, we got a battalion tomorrow. We're having a battalion picnic. The whole company, everybody, going to be there. And saying our I, I lead, guitar player just got out and went back to the States and said, We don't have anybody to play. Say, would you be interested in playing? And I was like, no. Nah. I said, man, but I don't know any of you guys' music or nothing. Don't know. Mm-hmm. He said, Don't worry about it. Just play whatever you know, and we'll we'll play behind. You. And those guys were, you know, professionals and so they could pick up on anything. So I played. Oh, uh, whatever I wanted to play, and they just played along with me. And then this this party is Saturday, so actually, <laughs> uh, I get here Friday night. Now I got a gig Saturday morning. The next day, <laughs> the next day, and uh, and which was the greatest thing could have happened because I got to meet the whole battalion, their families, and all was out for a company picnic, mm-hmm. and. I had saved the band, you know, saved the picnickers for the entertainment. Sure. And one of the songs I didn't, I wasn't thinking at the time, I was, like I said, a 19-year-old kid. And one of the songs I chose to sing was by Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. uh, on My ding lane <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, I'm singing My ding in front of the whole battalion, <laughs> kids, parents, and all of them. Like, and... You know, it was it was a rage because they thought it was you know it was it was it was a lighter day. You know, everybody got a good laugh out right of it. It was like, what made you sing that song? I'm like, well, they told me to sing any song I knew, and I had you yeah. know I didn't know that many songs, so I just would sing. <laughs> that was one that.
0: of them, one that you knew.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it, it was so great. And then I, after the picnic. Uh, I got to meet the, you know, the, the commanders, and they were, they were all the top brass, and they was like, and the chaplain, all of them was like, if you, hey, you need anything, let us know, you know, uh, call us if you need us. So it, was, it, was, it opened a lot of doors for me. And then, uh, so then, uh, you know, by having this gift, and, and utilizing it everywhere I went on campus, everybody already knew me, so uh already wow. already had heard of so yeah the I'll tell anyone that you if you don't display your gift, nobody know you have' them. so mm. if you got a talent and, uh don't hide it uh let it be known because you never know who's looking for just that,
0: sure. So that's yeah. If you weren't playing, if you didn't check the guitar out when you got to the bear, or when you got to you know the barracks, you would never have gotten the gig. and Never you know really advanced yeah, and, as far and, as that went.
1: And and I was in at the end of the Vietnam War, uh-huh. uh, so the war was in it. And you know, like I had had a lot of friends that had been shipped home in, in body bags. That uh, I've been known mm-hmm. all my life, mm-hmm. uh, and, but they wasn't fortunate enough to make it back alive. So uh, I started a rumor that they heard I was coming, and actually, I didn't. I I really think I signed up for a suicide mission because wow. my friends that didn't make it back, mm-hmm. they. Their parents were were rewarded, and back then, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars was a whole lot of money, and because you could buy a car for four thousand dollars, you know, you could mm-hmm. buy a house for four thousand dollars to spend or whatever, you know. Um, I know the land that that I grew up on. I think my dad told me he paid three hundred dollars, a lot, you know, oh back my then. Gosh. Yeah, it was. You could buy an acre of land for less than a thousand dollars, depends on where it was that. Wow. So they were considered rich. And I was like, you know, I always loved my mom. I'm like, okay, I'm out here in these streets. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to survive forever anyway. And rather than be a burden on uh, me and one of my friends, we sit down and talked about it because me and his, mama, his mom and my mom were grew up together and they were the best of friends. And it was like, man, let's, let's go join the army then. And so when we get killed, uh, our mama be rich too. you know.
0: Oh, wow. So that, your thought process yeah. was almost like, well, if I, I'm going to go here and at least that way I can pay it, pay it for, not pay it for, but like support my yeah. mom with the, with the, the money she's yeah. going to receive and, when and, I don't make so, it back. Oh my gosh. And we
1: went, we went in the service together, but they, they separated us because we were, my I guess how you say we were too, too close.
0: Oh right. Okay.
1: And we didn't sign. We didn't know that you had to get it in writing that you was going to stay together. Because we did have the buddy system was in effect then. Okay. Uh, you know, two guys went in the military at the same time. They had to guarantee them they would stay together. Yeah. But uh, so we didn't know about that. So they, we both of us went to Germany, but he went to frankfurt and i went to illinois so okay. um we we they separated us when we got there but uh, we got to get together a few times you know like on our times off weekend off or we got a, a, a furlough pass or something we could go and back and forth and see each other like that but uh okay. but the whole idea was not to uh, where well, I neither one was expected to come back, but the Vietnam War ended. And so uh, there was no need for my job as a helicopter technician. Uh, so, uh, helicopter subsystem technician. And uh, so uh, the Cobra helicopter had grounded. So, I had to take up another MOS. And find out another trait skill mm-hmm. to use that would be beneficial to the army since they wasn't working on you know the helicopters were shortage. They didn't need all of us. It was so many of us. So uh, young lady that worked at the uh, recreation center, she suggested that I come and be her full time assistant, and okay. then. They gave me another MOS, uh, another skill, and they called it uh I was like what you call a program director and entertainer because I was spending all of my free time in the recreation center anyway. And she was like, Okay, if you're here every day anyway, we might as well make this your military duty.
0: Wow. So they kind of created a job for you. Yeah, it created a job for me.
1: And uh my job was to find was a talent scout. Wow. If if any if a new guy came to 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 Germany, I mean came to Illinshine and he was on the post, I would look for his skills and his talent. Hey man, what do you play? You play an instrument. If he played drums or if he played a guitar, if he knew a little bit about the saxophone, then I was like, hey man, I can get you this easy gig where all we gotta do is jam. <laughs> Yeah. And everybody wanted that. So. And if the guy were good, if I listened to him and I thought he was good enough to be in it, then all I had to do was go to a, my commander mm-hmm. and tell him who I wanted from that company and they would give him an audition. And if he and if he passed it, then he became part of the military band. And did the you greatest audition them that,
0: or did, did they, did the commanders audition them? No, it was totally
1: left up to me. If, if, I wow. thought, if I thought they were good enough to be in the band, uh, see because I had this reputation of coming there out the first, you know, my second day in Europe and saving the band. And I, I did a great show, uh, mm-hmm. as far as they were concerned, I was singing, old songs that was in the U.S., but they were new to the soldiers over there because they had never heard of them. And we didn't have this, uh, thank God, the technician, you know, like this technology that we have now. Sure. Uh, So all this wasn't available. Now I can talk all over the world sitting in my living room. But uh, Right. uh, It's
2: crazy. (laughs) Before then, I had
1: to actually go there and show up. So, right, right. But uh, these guys—they—they would they know, once they—they uh, they put me in the recreation center, then I was allowed to set up tools and different things. You know, just to actually take guys out places. I—I uh, I got to go and walk in the cave where Jesus was buried. Just anything. I, Wow! One dude, they they actually did, and it was like. So I tell people, you know, I've been to Jerusalem and I, I walked in the grave, I looked in the cave, and I'm like, he he wasn't there, so he must have rose, or somebody stole him. You know, I make the joke out of it, but
2: sure. Uh, wow! When you've been there
1: and done that, and I did that at a, at a young age, and they, you know, there was actually two guys saying, and this is where they laid him over here, and you know, and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so. And it, it made uh, it and me being grow grew up in a religious family. You know, this was That's
0: this was deal.
1: yeah, it was the biggest deal could happen to me. Yeah. But uh, I I could either you know I was good at telling if a person had the potential to be a great uh you know a, a, a entertainer or not, and I was all okay. And so they labeled it as a. I think it was a '63 Y Yankee, something like that. But it was came out to be a program director in entertainment. Wow! And that meant I had to put the show together and and get the talent for it. Mm-hmm. And we had to have uh, something at least once a month on for the battalion. And uh, and then next we got pretty good at it. And then they started letting us go play for officer club at different country you know different uh different bases and they, so the commanders and the non non-comm- commissioned officers all was was using my band to uh and they wasn't paying us anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Well but you were already in my, the military, right? There that yeah that's kind of that your duty, job
1: right that was our military duty. But the thing about that is if you had rehearsals for five o'clock and you came in at five oh five without a, a logical excuse. You were AWOL.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So you know you. It was so important that you be where you're supposed to be on on time, or you was AWOL. You could get court martial fud. You could get an Article 15, which take a big hunk out of your check.
0: So it wasn't so just we like late. a, like a, like a lax gig. Like you, it, it was still taken very seriously.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah so, so we, you, you get, I didn't have a problem with people, but then that I got so wrapped up into the music and I was like, wow, I'm going to get out of there on I me mean, I'm, I'm, uh, and uh, do this. Like I want to do.
0: Sure. And which was the biggest
1: mistake I ever made. But, uh,
0: you left to do what you wanted to do? Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, you know, I went. I got, when, I, when my time was up, mm-hmm. I got out instead of re-enlisting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I got out to do, thinking I could do the music more broadly. Mm-hmm. But then I found out it was nowhere near the same because, like I say, in the military, everybody was on time where they're supposed to be. Right In the civilian world, the drummer may show up, he may not. <laughs> sure. And there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Um, so finally I just got frustrated with it. And I said, heck with the bands. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, after so many disappointments. This week the drummer don't show up. Next week the bass band got something going on. It was always crazy. Mm-hmm. So I quit entirely for, for a while. But then I decided when I when I moved back home. My mom was singing in a in a uh, gospel quartet because my dad had passed, and got killed in an auto accident. Mm-hmm. So her and her, a uh, fiance and a boyfriend at the time, they had a singing quartet, and I started to play for them.
2: Oh, and okay. They
1: were they were the harmony five, and I really didn't want to do it because I wanted to play the blues, but my mom. And she kept asking me, "Come on, play for us!" And so I did. Went to one of their rehearsals, and I like—I actually liked it. And uh, <laughs> so uh, they uh, asked me to play for them, and so I did. And they had the they they name was. It was five of them, and the name of the group was the Harmony Five.
2: Okay, And they,
1: they had a great harmony and stuff, and, and they were well-known. So uh, I was like, okay, this is an opportunity. And then, one, we started rehearsing regularly. Like, I want to say regularly, you know, like once a week. Mm-hmm. It is a Saturday night, or Friday night. Instead of me going to the club and doing what I like to do, I'm going to this rehearsal which never really lasted that long. You still had time to do anything else. But they had kids. And one of the group members, it was husband and wife that song in the group. They had 15 kids. Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> they had I think it was five boys and Six, six, seven, I don't know. I think it was eight girls um, that they had. So now, but they were really young kids. Mm-hmm. But trying to rehearse, they kept coming out singing too. And, you know, they would say, Y'all get out of the way, let us practice, let us practice. And the kids, they would go for a little while, but then they'll come right back out. You know, you send them to the room, and next thing you know, they're back out there. Sure. So I said to the parents, let them sing. Let the girls sing. So I'm like, okay, let them sing then. And so the the girls' song, it was eight like eight girls, Mm -hmm. and they actually could sing. They sounded good. Mm -hmm. So I started a group called Brother Finley, and the gospel sisters uh, and I, I went and bought them all dresses alike. And they were, they were cheap dresses, but it meant the world to wear them. They were all cars, you know, I happen to uh, happen to be in a store. And I saw some dresses that were, uh, they wasn't expensive at all. Maybe been eight, $10 a piece or something like that. and.
0: That's not not that's not cheap right yeah times right. and, and what five you said five kids
1: yeah 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 I mean that, now like you fifty, was eight, eight, eight 50 bucks eight girls like yeah 80 bucks oh 80
0: bucks yeah that ain't cheap
1: and and I got I I, I got all of the dress and I was like I just looked at the dresses and and imagine the girls. This one ought to wear this one. This one ought to wear this one. And I just bought eight dresses. Okay. And uh, and took them back, and I let the girls pick out which one they would fit them the best. And then you know, the mom had to do a little alteration on a couple of them, sure. uh, to make everybody. Do, but the fact that they all had dresses alike, and we started to singing from church to church and church to church, and it got to be more and more excited. So next thing I knew, I had an offer uh, to go to the radio station. Wow. Yeah, I went to the radio station. I talked to a guy and because I found out different groups were going down there. And I went down with my group and we performed that Sunday morning. And uh, everybody was calling the station and calling the station. And uh, so... The next week, I went from to the grocery stores to the um, the Western stores. I I even went to the service station and laundromats and talked to the owners, and they agreed to sponsor me. So now I got my own one-hour show every Sunday morning. That's amazing. The gospel brother fell and the gospel, sister gospel hour, and so uh, yeah. I then, uh, the young men at that time, the boys wasn't but you know, six or seven years old. And I had a nephew that was one that was that my mom was keeping, mm-hmm. so he was always there. And they saw the girls getting all this attention, so they wanted some. Of so I had these little five boys that wanted to sing too. Now, so now I said, "Well, let's start another group. Let's do the Young Gospel Brothers," and I named them the Young Gospel Brothers. And we was actually talking about that this past weekend because I was actually down there uh, with the family. Oh uh, wow! For for memorial for their for their mother. Uh, they they still celebrate her birthday every every year. And That's amazing. Her sisters and brothers sometimes come from near and far. They you know they come from as far as Michigan and Chicago, and they just comes from everywhere for that day. And they 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 they, they was in it Saturday.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we were talking about how we started, but yeah, these it's so much that uh history is coming back and now you know I got grandsons that can actually sit down and entertain Uh, actually actually he taught himself to play the piano Mm
2: -hmm.
1: well enough for the church to uh, pay for his piano lesson but he started just sitting behind the piano player watching his fingers and then uh, one day the piano player didn't come to church and he just got up and went to doing what he saw the piano player do. And it was amazing because nobody, even his mother didn't know he could play a piano. Wow. Um, and so, yep. Yeah, and, and I think at the age of 13, 12, 13, he, he was doing that. And now he's 16. So he's been the minister of music ever since.
0: That's really cool. Really <laughs> He'll cool. play
1: for the church and he's, he's uh. He plays piano. He plays guitar. He plays any instrument you pretty much put in front of. So mm-hmm. they was like, you know, he's just a natural, you know. Sure. But, uh,
0: in the blood, huh?
1: Yeah. It just it just comes out, you know. And I actually bought them the first set of drums. I don't know. They might have been eight or nine years old. And the mom was like, "Fighting man, cause of all of that noise," and she got to go work and boom. I said, "Well, just put them in the garage anywhere, but don't don't ever tell them don't play." <laughs> and uh, you know and so now she she's so proud because he's of you know, his career is moving on in the music he actually opened up for me in a show a couple months ago and everybody loved it and that's uh,
0: awesome
1: yeah and he opened up by himself as a solo guitarist and it's really cool i've only bought him the guitar like two years ago but who would have thought that he could <laughs> entertain uh a full house, you know, doing it. But uh, I got a great-grandson that's two years old, and he's already got his guitar, he's got a drum, he's got a congos. anything I can get on to. Matter of fact, he, he's got a set of congos in my truck that I haven't given to him yet. Um, but, uh, you know, you plant, how you say, being a sharecropper, you know that you don't plant today and expect to eat tomorrow. You got to go through the process. But the earlier you plant, the sooner you can eat. <laughs> you know I saying? like
0: that. Yeah, I've been doing that with my five-year-old son, too. Throwing him on the piano and got him a yeah, drum yeah. kit during this. Uh, the whole pandemic, we were able to get him a electric kit so he wasn't, you know, destroying the neighbor's ears and ours. But, yeah, it's really, he he really loves it. Yeah, uh, well, I...
1: I uh, my great-grand, he got his own piano. He got his own guitar. He got his own drum. Uh, because if you get it, I mean, he may leave it. He may get discouraged with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But at some point in his life, it'll, it'll come back to him. And, yeah. you know, he'll find the time to, to can do can always it. come back to it, for yeah. sure. But, yeah, I mean, like. Before when we first started, she didn't want to hear that racket. She didn't want to jump (laughs) up in the pool. Well, I mean, even me learning, everybody used to. I used to start playing for a crowd, and the crowd would get up and walk away one by one people because I was actually, I knew I was miserable. I I sucked as a a guitar player. But uh, I found a solution to
2: it. -hmm.
1: I started volunteering to play. For the prison, and then I knew my audience couldn't get up and walk out. of
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> When did you start doing that? What year was that? Oh, uh, I started
1: doing that. Uh, and I don't know. Just uh, actually before I went into the military. Oh uh, wow!
0: So it's been a while you were doing that. Yeah, yeah. That's I was.
1: I was. I, I, really did, I really did suck play, as a guitar player. Uh, but uh, you know, consistency. The more you do something, the more comfortable you do. Now, right. I really don't pick up my guitar uh, unless I'm actually going to do a gig. Uh, Is that right? I'm you glad. don't just
0: pick it up and jam anymore, like by yourself? No, no, no.
1: I, I only pick it up to play uh, mostly not a gig because there's really no need to do the wear and tear on the guitar. I play by ear and I uh, never read music. So if I want a sound, I put it in my head
2: mm-hmm.
1: to what I want to hear. And any sound, I mean, because anything I hear, I can play it. So I've never, I've never heard a, a sound that a guitar make that I couldn't get. And I don't use the uh, special effects. I don't use the foot pedals. I don't mm-hmm. use it. It's just, it's just, you know, I, I move my hands up and down until I find the sound and, <laughs> And I actually play whatever I, I hear. So, um, uh, with, uh, all the songs on my album, I sit down and, uh, if I want to play it, you know, I can play it.
0: Yeah. I lost your video, Robert. Sorry. No problem. What happened? It's, it's just your name on there. I don't know. I lost your, you sitting up oh, there. You're back. Okay.
1: I think, I think, uh I don't
0: know. For some reason, the battery goes
1: get low. It does. It do that. But I All good. I, yeah, I put it on charge or, um, early in the morning. But
0: I'm just uh, so I'm I'm curious to know when you so you put out in 2016, you put out "Age Don't Mean a Thing" and that somehow lands in the front of of Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys. And did you know who he was at the time and how how did that I had no happen?
1: Idea. Had never heard of him. Wow! I started off with the Music Makers. Relief Foundation, they recorded uh, me sitting on a stool playing by myself. They sent it to uh, Fat Possum Records. Uh-huh. And Fat Possum, actually, uh, the owner of it at the time came out, actually called me and, and came to my house here in Bernice from uh, Memphis and and uh, because he wanted to see if I were really doing this by myself. He was like, okay, man. He said, the reason I'm here because with all the technology it's easily to fool somebody, you know. Mm -hmm. So he was like, go get your guitar and play me a tune. So him and his wife came and I played the song, Age Don't Mean a Thing. And so him and his wife recorded it and he was like, I'll call you back. And i like, I didn't think I would hear from him anymore, but Next thing I knew, I was in the blind school in Belusia, Mississippi. I get a phone call saying, when you get out of school, you mind catching a bus and going to Memphis and do a recording. So I actually rode the bus to, to Memphis from uh, from Monroe. And uh, we did, we had oh, four days, well actually we had a week to do the recording. And uh, we was gonna do 10 songs I think we did 12 songs in two days, and, and I was like, kaboom, and It was like, he too. I'm like, y'all got nothing else for me to do? No. Nah. I said, well, man, I, you know, I could be at home more in my yard or something. I guess I should have took advantage of the five days uh, in Memphis, but I didn't know anybody, and uh, I wasn't. I couldn't really see that good, so I wasn't trying to get out and feel the way around, you know, and make myself vulnerable to the to the public, or become a victim. So I said, mm-hmm. man, if you guys ain't got no more use for me, just let me go home. So they the, the guy, Bruce, uh took me, uh him and his wife took me to the airport, I mean, to the uh, bus station, and bought me a ticket and put me on the bus, and uh, I came home. And the next thing I knew, I had the record, and then I started to travel with the music maker band. Mm-hmm. And um, we did some overseas tours and stuff. And I happened to be in France and I got a phone call saying, Hey, man, this is the Black Keys want to, want you, want you, man. I'm like, I don't know nothing about no Black Keys. Who the hell is that? And, was like, and finally, a guy told me, He said, Look, man, if you give it these guys, you, if they like you, you, you. It's no stopping you. Right. So they play uh, uh, one song for me of of the Black Keys. And they said, but they don't want you to do what they're doing. They want you to be your. So when I got back to the States and they set it up for me to go, I wasn't supposed to do an album. I was supposed to do a recording, a voiceover for a book called Murder Banner. That's what it was about. And so we had four days to do four songs. I did the four songs in four hours. Had never <laughs> heard them before. I couldn't read them. Dan would talk in my ear and tell me what to say next, and I would just holler it out to the top of my voice. And he was like, I've never seen this shit like this. He was like, man, this guy to walk in off the street and master the whole book in, in a half a day. So uh, all the, uh, musicians they had you know some of the greatest musicians uh, uh, because what Dan did with the the, uh, easy eye sound he got all of the
2: the
1: the older musicians that had retired and were no longer on the road that you know that were great and just made them great studio musicians Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they was all telling me about how much they loved what I was doing and then so he said well hey man Look, uh, you want to record an album, so at the time, uh, music maker, they didn't even know anything about the album uh, until we had had recorded. And it was like, man, he said, "We sent you here to do four songs. Now you are did an album, which wound up being about sixteen songs with the uh, four that that was on, the, on in the book." Mm-hmm. But when they heard it, they loved it, and I don't know what kind of thing they had signed, but they had signed that if, if uh, they wanted to, I would be obligated to do another album with the uh, easy I sound, uh, and was, but this, you know, this was opportunities for me to do something I've been wanting to do all my life. Mm-hmm. And at the time I wasn't, I wasn't uh, concerned about the money. I was concerned about the opportunity because uh, I felt like if I got a chance I can make it happen, you know. But we did the album and I went on tour with the Black Keys, uh, with Dan Albach and the Easy Eye Sound band with the studio band. All these guys agreed to come out of the tab and go on the road one more time. And that's what we did. We got and they, they was all excited about it. And uh I was like at the time, 60 three years old and I was a new kid on the block because everybody else was in the seventies and eighties and, you know, and some one of the guys in the early nineties, but when they got on stage, it looked like they went back to, to their teenage years and they was having so much fun. Um, so we toured the East coast and the West coast. And finally we went to France and, uh, then, uh, Dan, uh, I remember the first, show we did was in New Orleans and uh and then we did one in in uh Memphis at the uh Jack Daniel distributor and then uh they started and they got the reaction from the crowd was lovely and they said well man let's just take this on the road and that's how we wind up doing the east coast and the west coast um and I was uh I was really surviving off cd sales because I were uh Getting out and talking with the audience and greeting them at the uh, at the entrance or as they come into the place and and you know I go there knowing nobody with nobody knowing who I were and when I left everybody knew who I because <laughs> Dan would call me out in the middle of the set and say Hey man come on out here and and I got a friend I want y'all to meet and I would get out there and I would sing Get It While You Can Medicine Woman or, whatever they put on the thing. And mm-hmm. um, and I that we were on tour, and Bobby Woods was listening to a song on his phone, and he had it on speaker. And I passed by, and I heard it, and I liked it. So I asked Bobby who was it, and he told me, and uh, I don't know who the original author of the song was, but he told me who it was singing it. And I said, "Man, I'd like to sing that." And uh, didn't think nothing else about it. He said, "Probably you can," but by him and Dan being so tight, of, you know, all these years with with you know with their history together, he told Dan. And after rehearsal, they asked me. Dan asked me, "You want to try that song you like?" And that was the song, uh, "All My Hope." Uh, okay. that's only only new album, all my hope is in Jesus and I was like yeah I'll try and he said I'll tell you what he says we're gonna run through a couple more songs say put it on your earphone and on the phone listen to it a couple of times and and then when we finish this rehearsal we'll try it so I did it. and uh, the band loved it so The next show we did, Dan wanted me to do it on stage, and when I did, uh, I had did my get it while you can dance and everything, but I sit down on a stool and just sung all my hope, and the and the audience like went wild, and it was so. From the remaining of the tour, we did that on every song for for an encore.
2: Wow. Because I
1: always wanted to do gospel. But at the time, I had to do what what they were asking for, or they would have just got somebody else to do it. But after uh, working with them, and then they seeing the importance of it and learning about my childhood history, then we decided to start putting gospel on each album. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a way of opening the door for my gospel album, uh, which... Uh, all my hope. Uh it's ongoing platinum. Mm-hmm. And then uh that was the closest thing to gospel that we had done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All my hope. Uh now uh holy wine. I'm sorry, holy wine. Then on the new album here we did All My Hope. And we went actually went to the studio and wrote the song, starting to see for the uh, America Got Talent. Because wow. I
0: yeah, because you were well, on that, I, right? In last or in the twenty nineteen, right, right. And okay, we,
1: went, we got to. Uh, I, it got us past. Okay, we had did both the judges. Uh, we had did both the judges. So all my hope was the first. I mean, starting to see was the first time I'd sung before the live audience. You know, with the what what the audience actually do the judging. And uh, so uh, it was like we went. This guy went, and wrote this song. I went back to write one song, especially for the uh, America
0: Got Talent. Mm-hmm. But oh, you wrote a song just for the show? Just for the show. Yeah. Okay. And and how were you we approached wrote. by America's Got Talent?
1: Uh, I just got a phone call. One of their one of their agents saw some of my stuff on a video, when of the wow. producers, and she reached out to the agent and said, would he be interested in coming? So I never did audition for it other than at the uh, in, in in Los Angeles when we actually went to the live audition. Wow. But uh I I didn't call anybody, I didn't sign up for nothing. They called they yeah, reached out they, they reached out to you? Yeah, because uh she had saw it and she she had seen some video footage and, and heard some, and she said she went home. I actually talked to the young lady, and she said she went home and uh, played it for her parents and said they liked it. So she came back and uh, talked to the producers of the show and and, and played it for them. And then they say, well, bring him on and, and see if he's wow. interested in coming. So, yeah, like I said, so many things, the door doors have been opened simply because... Uh, the displaying your talent, so that's why I tell people: if you don't put it out there, nobody know what you got. Mm-hmm. You know what I do like you got that. to lose? You know, the only thing you got to lose is an opportunity uh, by not doing it, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't know what somebody is looking for. And so this just happened to be, and we were in the Muhammad's. Me and my daughter was 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 in the Muhammad's. And they called us and told us we had made the show uh, that they wanted us to come to the show, so we didn't come home because the price of a plane ticket from the Muhammad's back to Monroe and then back to Los Angeles was, you know, was pretty expensive. Yeah. So I said, "Well, I said, well, look, uh, if we're only going to fly home for two days. Why don't we just pay fly for to the, LA? <laughs> four days in the Muhammad's and yeah. let us enjoy ourselves so we." You know, we can go from here straight to California, and I made the suggestion, and uh, they got to add up the price of the tickets and the price of uh, living in the in, in the, or you know where we were at, and they would say, "Yeah, he making sense. Let's just leave him. Let him." So we, I had my whole band over there, so we sent the band back,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and me and her stayed over there till time to go to uh, Los Angeles. Wow. And, yeah. So we we actually. Uh, had us a week vacation. That's really <laughs> and nice. And and the thing about that, gave us a, a wristband where we could go anywhere on the island and eat, drink, whatever, as long as you had that band on. That was wow. no charge.
2: That's and really the, nice.
1: Yeah. So that was that was a really a uh, uh, super blessing. And wow. then when we, first time I went on the show and sung get it while you can, and the judges went. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, okay, we on the roll now. Let's, let's just keep on going. That's and, amazing. And then, uh, I think the first showing I did was get it while you can. And next thing was medicine woman. And, uh, we, everything was, you know, we got, we got standing ovations. We got, oh you still, anyway. yeah, we I got, stand, yeah, we got standing ovation on both ones. So, uh, that was, uh, That was good. Then we come back to the live shows. And uh, that's when I, we came home for two weeks.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: then uh, that's when I went to Nashville to write the song, Starting to See. Wow. Uh, And while we were there, we went to write one song. But we had two days to write it. And uh, we actually wrote four songs that first day.
0: Oh my gosh. Did those make uh sharecropper son? I me? did those songs make the record sharecropper? Sun? Right.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're on there.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. All of them, all of them is on there. That's amazing.
1: Look, I I got to wind up because I got another interview coming up in just a few minutes. I didn't realize how long we had been talking. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, it's been great. I appreciate you hanging out with me. Um, before I let you go, I want to know if you have uh I mean, to, to achieve what you've done, like, especially so late down the line, right. In life, you, 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 you were able to really, your career has really took off within the past five, six years. Can you tell me if you have any advice for aspiring artists?
1: Hey, uh, I I always tell everybody, uh, be consistent. Uh, winners don't quit. And quitters show don't win. And that that would be a thing, just keep on keeping on. And when people say you're not gonna make it, that should make you try harder. Because it's it's a good feeling to, to to make those doubters out of a lie. You know, just just hang in there, man. Then don't. But the thing about it with me, if I say anything, people say well, often I get that question, why so late in your life? Everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the good Lord knows. Thirty years ago, forty years ago, I don't really think I could have deal with this type of success, you I mean, because uh, I I wasn't mature in the mind to how they actually handled it. You know, uh, I probably would have bought a race car and, and didn't make a <laughs> curve, run into a tree. You know, sure. <laughs> uh, and, and another thing, don't let. Nobody tell you you got to have you got to take a pill for this and a pill for that. See, because we lose so many famous artists behind drug overdose, whether it was a prescription or street drug. Uh, the drugs is, is, is destroying uh, our uh, musician. I mean, when if you get the bottom line, if I could say Prince, I could say Michael Jackson, I could say, uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, I can say Elvis Presley, if you read up on it, it all was a drug one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So if you're sleepy, take a nap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that's that's the best way to stay alert. Because if you got to take a drug to go to sleep, then 9 times of 10, you're going to have to take one to stay woke. So upwards and downs and all this up and down stuff, and eventually you run up on one that don't get along with the other. Uh, and like I say, uh, that's a positive thing. Try to keep a clear head. Now, ain't nothing wrong with taking your shot, you know. I mean, because that's my, my that's my philosophy. I take my shot. I relax myself. You know, I I. But uh, I'm not dependent on a, a drug to make me feel like dancing. You know, if I don't feel like dancing, I just sit there. You know, I just bring me out of stew. But if you get dependent on, if you got to have this, then you get depending on it. Now you gotta have something to get you down off it. So don't let the drugs destroy your life. That's the big thing.